Some of you may have seen the story, I, I think it was a couple of months ago, there was a, a priest here in Arizona, and uh, this priest was, quote, baptizing babies in the church. And as he did that, he actually used one wrong word as he was baptizing. Instead of saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he said, we baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, that was a problem because according to the Catholic Church, it's not the we of the church that is baptizing people. It is the priest acting as a representative of the church who is doing the baptizing. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time this morning talking about whether, in fact, that really is a baptism, which I don't believe it is biblically. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the, the words that this, that this priest used that were incorrect because I don't think there's even anything prescribed in the Bible about what words were used. But what I do want to focus on this morning is this whole idea of priests and the function that they serve in our culture. And, and really, if you think about it, you know, we, we don't tend to think of priests so much in, a, in the evangelical church, but as I'm going to share with you this morning, we actually do need a priest. Now, the whole idea of a priest is a priest is kind of a, a go-between between God and man. Here's how the, the dictionary actually defines priest. as someone who is authorized to perform a sacred rites of a religion, especially as a mediate, mediatory agent between humans and God. I'll put that in English, pure Eng, plain English. It means that person serves as a bridge between God and man. And I think we all know instinctively that that we need a bridge between God and man. So there have been priests around since really the beginning of time. If you're in the book of Genesis, even before God comes along and appoints Aaron and his, and his uh, descendants as priests, there are priests in the cultures that are all around there because people kind of understood that they, they needed a way to be made right with God. So I want to ask you a question as I begin this morning, and, and a lot of times I just want you to kind of answer with the first thing that comes to your mind, but this morning I'm going to actually ask you to think about this for a moment because the answer might not be quite as apparent as you think. So here's the question. Do you need a priest? Do you need a priest? Now, depending on, on what you think about the priest and their, their function and stuff, you might answer that in different ways. But the passage that we're going to look at this morning is going to demonstrate to us what the answer to that question is. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to give you that answer right off the bat. I'm going to give you the main idea that we're going to be looking at right off the bat, and then we're going to use this passage today to help to develop that idea a little bit more. So here's the answer to the question, do you need a priest? You do need a priest. And Jesus is the only one qualified to fulfill that role in your life. He's the only one qualified to fulfill that role in your life. What we're going to see this morning is why you need a priest. We're also going to talk about why Jesus has to be that priest in your life. Now, the passage we're going to look at today, it doesn't really deal so much with the why you need a priest. It deals a lot more with why Jesus is the only priest that you need. So I want to take just a moment to talk about why do you need a priest? And we're going to run across this a little later on in our study of Hebrews. We're going to come to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read this verse that I think really helps us to understand why we need a priest. Here's, here's what's written in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. 
It says to strive for peace with everyone. And here's the part I want you to really focus on. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So what it's saying here, you need to strive for holiness because if you're not holy, you don't get to see the Lord, right? That that's a requirement for seeing God, for having a relationship with him. But the problem is none of us are capable of doing that on our own. I can't do it. You can't do it. You can't. And Paul tells us about this in the book of Romans. You guys are probably familiar with Romans 3.23. It says, for, for who? For some have fallen short? No, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, we all need that go-between because, because we're not holy enough to come into the presence of a holy God. So we need a priest. We need that bridge. We need that, that person that can bridge the gap between a holy, holy God and us because we're not holy. So today we're going to return to our, our study of the book of Hebrews. We kind of left off there uh, last fall. And uh, we're going to pick up this morning in Hebrews chapter 7. But since it's been a little bit since we've spent our time in the book of Hebrews, let me give you a little background, kind of remind you of where we've come up to so far in our study of the book of Hebrews. We don't know who the author is for sure. There's a lot of speculation on that, but we just don't know because the author isn't identified in the letter. But we can be pretty sure about the audience, and we can be pretty sure about the purpose of the letter by just reading the letter itself. And what we find is whoever the author is here, he's writing to a group of Jewish Christians, probably in a local assembly somewhere, and these Jewish Christians are being persecuted, and they're, they're thinking, you know, it would be a whole lot easier if we just went back to our Jewish religion because in our culture, the Jews aren't persecuted to the same degree that Christians are. And so he's writing this letter to demonstrate to them why it is that they don't want to do that. And the point he's making is that the reason they don't want to do that is because Jesus is greater than. That's why we're calling this, this sermon series Greater Than. He's greater than anything or anyone. So why would you want to go back to something that's inferior? He's already talked about how Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the high priest and the whole Jewish system of sacrifices that existed. So he's saying, why would you want to go back to that? And then he gets to to Hebrews chapter 4, and he describes how Jesus is our great high priest. And he says the reason that Jesus is our great high priest is because as a human, just like us, he experienced every single thing that we go through, every single temptation, and yet he was without sin. And then he comes to chapter 5 as he's continuing to talk about how Jesus is our great high priest, and he begins to compare Jesus with this guy named Melchizedek. Perhaps you remember this last October when we looked at this. We got to the end of of chapter 5, and we read this verse. As the, the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting from Psalm 110, he says, As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then a couple verses later in verse 9, he continues like this. And being made perfect, talking about Jesus, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I told you when we looked at that passage a while back that that we're going to come back and talk more about Melchizedek. We didn't talk a whole lot about him back then. So today, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to to do that as we look 
at, uh, at Hebrews chapter 7. It's really interesting that, that after that, that passage we just looked at in chapter 5, there's what we call like a big parenthesis in Hebrews. And the author kind of takes a side trail, and he goes off and he reminds them that they need to be growing in their faith so that they don't fall away from Jesus. And now he's going to return back to this idea of being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And this is so important that it becomes really the, the central part of the whole book of Hebrews. It continues all the way through chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and follow along. I'm going to read uh, this morning, beginning in verse 1. We're going to just look at the first 10 verses this morning. I love the name Melchizedek when because I, I, when I write my sermon manuscript, I had to type that like 100 times this week. So I now know how to spell it, for one thing. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That is from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So this is a a really interesting passage here, and we come across this guy named Melchizedek. And other than here in Hebrews, he's only mentioned in two places in the Scripture. Really pretty short accounts, if you think about it. And yet he's one of the most important people we see in the Bible in many respects. The first time he's mentioned is back in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham goes, his his, uh, nephew Lot has been taken captive, and so he goes and he defeats these four other kings. And then then he meets up with this guy named Melchizedek. So here's what it says in Genesis chapter 14. I'm just going to read the passage without much commentary. We're going to come back to some parts of it later that are important. It says, After after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, and he said, be, be, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him, or Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The other place he's mentioned is one verse in Psalm 110. Psalm 110, verse 4. It's the verse that we saw quoted earlier in Hebrews chapter 5. The Lord has sworn... And will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's a a messianic psalm. It's pointing ahead to Jesus. And he says that Jesus in that psalm is going to be a priest that's like Melchizedek. So what we find from both of these is that Melchizedek is what we call a type of Jesus. 
Let me explain what I mean by a type, because there's several types throughout the scriptures. A type just means a person or an object or an event or thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows something else that's going to come in the New Testament. And there's all kinds of these types throughout the Bible. Probably the one that's most clear is the one that, that Paul lays out for us in the book of Romans, because he tells us specifically that Adam is a type of Jesus. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 5. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And here's the important part, who was a type of the one who is to come. He's a, a picture of Jesus who is to come. Now, you need to understand this about types. Types, while they show us something about the character, something about the nature, something about the ministry of Jesus, they all fall short in some way. And that's true with Melchizedek, because here's the, here's the argument that the writer of Hebrews is going to make. He's going to say that this priest Melchizedek was far superior to any of the Israelite priests. And he's going to use that to prove that Jesus is even superior. And we all know Jesus is far superior to Melchizedek. But he's going to use that argument. So even though he's a type, he falls short of Jesus. And every single type we see of Jesus is going to fall short in some way. Because nobody else is Jesus, right? So what I want to do is to use this passage to show us five reasons why Melchizedek is superior to the Jewish priests and therefore why Jesus is the superior high priest, the only priest that we need. So here's the first thing about his priesthood that makes him superior. The priesthood is universal. It's universal. The priests who who ministered to Israel, they ministered to Israel, the, the Aaronic priest that God sets up when he appoints Aaron to be a priest. And they were to be priests over Israel. And there was something else here that's going on here. It says in Genesis chapter 14, the name that, 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 that Melchizedek is known by is really important. It says that he was priest of God Most High. That's a really important phrase there. Because all throughout the Old Testament, most of the time, when, when, when it's talking about God, it uses the word, the Hebrew word, Yahweh. And in your, in your English Bibles, that is almost always translated Lord in all capitals. You'll notice in your Old Testament, sometimes the word Lord has a capital L and then lowercase the rest of the letters. Well, when they're all uppercase, that's usually the word Yahweh. And that was a word to describe God's covenantal relationship with Israel. It's how he related to Israel. But here... When it talks about, about Melchizedek, both back in Genesis and again here in Hebrews, it calls him the priest of the God Most High or the Most High God. And it uses the word El Elyon there, the Hebrew. And the reason that's significant is because that's the universal God. It's a God who transcends all the national distinctions. He's a God not only of the Jews but of the Gentiles as well. And what he's saying here is that Melchizedek was superior because he was not just a priest over Israel. He was a priest over all the nations of the earth. And Jesus is also superior because he's not just the God of the Jews. He's the God of the Gentiles. He's the Savior of the Jews and the Savior of the Gentiles. Even though the Jews hated the Gentiles, what he's saying to him here, Jesus is superior because he not only saves you, he saves the Gentiles as well. The second reason we see here that the, that the priesthood of Jesus is superior is that his priesthood is royal. Four times in this passage, 
Melchizedek is called a king. So he's a king and a priest, and that idea was totally foreign to the idea to the idea of the Jewish priest. You never had a Jewish priest who was also a king, right? Never happened because the, the roles were separated. As a matter of fact, the Jewish priests were ap- actually subject when it came to civil matters to the kings. That's why when Jesus, when they want to crucify Jesus, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, they can't do that. They have to go to the Roman government because they were subject to that. But what we find is that in Jesus, we have both a king and a priest together. And the prophet Zechariah actually prophesied about that. Here's what we find in Zechariah chapter 6. It says, It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, shall bear the royal honor, and shall sit and rule on the throne. He's going to be a king. And there shall be a priest. There's the priest on the throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. And what it's what we don't see here is that what that prophecy is really pointing to is the fact that there's one person that holds both of those roles, that Jesus is both priest and king. Now, his, his, his kingdom right now is a spiritual kingdom. But one day, Jesus is going to return to this earth, and he's going to establish a physical kingdom as well. So Jesus is the only priest ever, other than Melchizedek, who's both priest and king. The third thing that we see here is that that his priesthood is one of both righteousness and peace. Righteousness and peace. And we see this in the names of of Melchizedek or the titles that he had. The name Melchizedek, it's a a compound word. It in uh, Hebrew consists of the word melech, which means king, and sedek, which means righteousness. So literally his name means king of righteousness. He's also called the king of Salem. And Salem, it comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. Most of us know that. Probably Salem was probably the, the ancient name for the city of Jerusalem. But the idea here is you have a king who is a king of righteousness and a king of peace. And Jesus fulfills that role too. I ran across this verse this week. This is one of the most amazing verses I've seen for a while. It's a really cool verse. It comes from, from the Psalms, and it's from a Messianic Psalm, and here's what it says about Jesus. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, and then look at this. Isn't this neat? Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Isn't that cool? Righteousness and peace kiss each other, and that's what happens in Jesus. Jesus, he, he's, he's, a, he's a priest who combines righteousness and peace. Number one, he's righteous himself, but he also makes it possible for us to be righteous before God as well, right? And when we put our faith in him, we're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then what does that do? That gives us peace with God and makes it possible for us to have peace with others. So only in Jesus do we find righteousness and peace combined like that. Next thing we see here is that his priesthood is not hereditary. Think about the the Jewish priesthood. You had to be a descendant of Aaron. You had to come from the tribe of Levi. That's the only way that you you could become a priest. And we see here that it says that Melchizedek was without mother or father. He was without genealogy. Now, that doesn't mean that, that as some people say, that he was an angel or this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. What that, that phrase really just means is that Nowhere is it recorded who his mother and father are. 
Nowhere is it recorded his genealogy. And that was really important because, like I say, the Jewish priests, you had to prove your genealogy if you wanted to be a priest. But here we find that, that the priesthood of Melchizedek, like that of Jesus, is not based on hereditary. It's based on their character and who they are. And that's really important because a lot of the Jewish priests, they got in there because they had the, they had the right genes, but frankly, they were men of poor character. And so many of the priests ended up drawing people away from God rather than drawing them to God. Finally, last, one last thing we see here is that the priesthood of Jesus, the priesthood of Melchizedek, is eternal. The Jewish priests, really interesting, if you go through and, and you study history and you read what the scriptures have to say, is that they would become a priest about the age of 25 years old. And for about five years, they would be kind of an apprentice. They would work with another priest, and then by the age of 30, they would become like a, a real priest, I guess. You know, they could carry out the functions by themselves. And then according to the book of Numbers, they would retire at the age of 50. I kind of like that. I, I should have quit here a few years ago is what I'm finding out. I actually have biblical support that I could have retired. So they would they quit. So their, their, their priesthood only lasted for a period of time. But look what it says here in verse 3 about, about Melchizedek. This is really interesting. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God continues forever. That's important, resembling the Son of God. He's not the Son of God. Some people have said, hey, look, what this means is Melchizedek is still alive today. No, he's not. If he was still alive today, that would make him what? Equal with Jesus, right? And we know he's not equal with Jesus. Again, it simply means that, that we don't have a record of his birth or his death. So it seems like, when you look at it, that, that, his, that his reign is eternal. Well, Jesus, his reign is eternal, absolutely. It's forever. That's why back in the Psalms, this verse that we looked at earlier from Psalm 110, it said this about Jesus, that the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest for how long? Forever, after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus' reign is going to last forever. Now, if that's not enough, he, he lays all this out, and then he comes along, he makes one last argument. He says, look, if you don't believe all this stuff about Jesus, just think about this. Abram comes to Melchizedek, and what does he do? He gives him tithes. He gives him a tithe of all the spoil. Now, who do you give tithes to? You give tithes to someone who is more worthy than you. And he said, not only that, Melchizedek turns around, and he blesses Abram. And who does the blessing? The one who is greater blesses the lesser. So he says, put this all together, and you can now see and understand why I said earlier, hopefully, that I need a priest, and that the only one who's qualified to be that priest is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's qualified. So what are the implications for my life? I'm going to share just one with you this morning that I think is really important. And that is that I don't want to rely on the wrong priest. I don't want to rely on the wrong priest. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We talked about earlier that, that we all need someone to be a go-between, someone to be a bridge between us and God. And there are a lot of things that people try that they think will be that bridge. They try other people. They try other things. They try other activities. And they all fall short of Jesus. 
And so I want to talk about just three things that I think that we could, we could seek after that would be the wrong priest. Three things that, that I think these Jewish Christians were seeking after. And three things that, frankly, we could, be, we could have a tendency to seek after, whether we're already disciples of Jesus Christ or whether we have not yet put our faith in him. Here's the first one that could be a wrong priest, self. Self. These guys figured they, they're, they're being persecuted for being a Christian, and they're thinking, you know what? Maybe there's a lot of ways to God. Maybe we could just go back to our old way of life, and that would be a whole lot easier because the Jews are a lot more accepted in this culture than the Christians, so, so we'll just choose to go back that. And they, they kind of figure we'll just choose whatever we want. We'll try to get right with God however we want. Or maybe we'll try to do it through our own, our own efforts that so we can do that which is really what their old Jewish religion was all about. And you say, well, gosh, that's really selfish. It's really self-centered. But think about our culture today. Isn't that where people are at today? How many times do you hear somebody say, well, there's, there's a whole lot of different ways to God. I'll just pick out the one that, that I like, the one that I'm the most comfortable with, the one that's the easiest for me. And that's what we have in our culture today. But the problem is that anything else you try to, 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 to hang on to, to be your priest, it's going to fall short of Jesus. That person or that thing or that activity or whatever you do, it cannot give you what Jesus can give you. So don't hang on to the priest itself. The second one is, the, the, is religion, the priest of religion. That's what these guys were prone to do, right? They said, you know what? This following Jesus, it's not always real easy. You know it was a whole lot better when we had just this big, long list of rules. And then whenever we broke those rules, we just go down to the temple, we make a sacrifice, and then we could live our lives however we want. And, and that's kind of an e- you know, much easier than following after Jesus. So let's just go back to our religion. And there are people that do that today. The, the story I shared with you at the beginning of the sermon where this priest up in Phoenix said the wrong words at the baptism. Do you know how many people, how many of those parents, there were, there were thousands of people that he did this for. It's kind of interesting. After he did this, the church wasn't too happy with him. They reassigned him they, from his parish. You know what they made him do? Go back and fix all the broken baptisms. But think about how many people were relying upon that that religious act because they thought somehow by their child being baptized, which is not really a baptism, but by being baptized that somehow that was going to make their child right with God. And they were hanging on to that hope. And when they found out that there was one wrong word in that baptism, those people, they panicked. They were, you should read some of the comments from some of these people. They were so worried about their kids because one wrong word was said. But again, we see that we see that in our culture. And we can even get hung up in that, right? We can think that that the way we get right with God is we go to church and we put some money in the offering and we serve somewhere and, and, and things like that, that we're baptized, that we participate in the Lord's Supper. And guess what? We ought to do all those things because they're, we're commanded to do them in the Scripture. But not one of those things is going to make us right with God. One of the, the songs that we've, recent songs that we've been singing is a song called Make Room. And, and in the bridge, 
there's some really interesting lyrics. I don't know how many of you noticed this when we sang this song, but it says, to shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion, your way is better. And the reason that we sing that is exactly for this reason, because it's so easy to get hung up on tradition. It's so easy to get hung up on these religious activities and and these rituals that we're going through that we miss out on the way that is better, which is Jesus Christ. So we don't want to hang on to the priest of religion. Finally, one last one, the priest of heritage. That's what these guys were counting on. They're like, hey, you know what? We're descendants of Abraham, so we're all children of God. And we live in a world today. How many times do you... Have you hear someone say, well, we're all children of God. Like somehow by just being born, that automatically you're okay with God. Sorry, but it doesn't work that way. Some people think that just because they grew up in a Christian home that they're okay with God. Or because they were baptized as an infant or whatever the thing might be, some kind of heritage. But you know what? Somebody once said this, and I think it's so true, that God doesn't have any grandchildren. Think about that for a moment. God doesn't have, because each one of us have to individually make the decision to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And the way that we become children of God is not to be one of Abraham's descendants like all these Jewish Christians thought. John tells us exactly what we have to do to be a child of God. In John chapter 1, at the beginning of his gospel account, he writes this, But to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You want to become a child of God? Then what you have to do? You have to receive Jesus. You have to believe him. You have to put your faith in him and trust in him alone, not trust in your heritage, not trust in yourself, not trust in your religion, but to trust in Jesus Christ alone. So let me ask you once again the same question that I asked you at the beginning of this message. Do you need a priest? hope now you would answer that question yes I do and that the priest that I need is Jesus Christ so I want to encourage you this morning whatever you need to do in your life to make sure that Jesus is your priest will you take whatever action is needed to do that if that means putting your faith in Jesus for the first time because you've never done that some of you might need to do that But for most of us who've already done that, what it really means is to make sure that in my day-to-day life that I'm not trusting in all those other false priests out there, but I'm entrusting in Jesus Christ in my life. Melchizedek is this interesting, shadowy figure. But I think he's one of the most important, I mentioned this earlier, one of the most important figures in the entire Bible in some ways. Because he's a reminder that we have great hope. Because we have a God that loves us so much that all the way back in the book of Genesis, he knew what his plan was for saving mankind through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And that we can count on that and that we can depend on that. And that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who is sitting at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf because he loves us so very much. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is indeed our great high priest. 
Father, thank you that he made a way for us to have a relationship with you, that he's our bridge. And thank you that he's so much superior to anything or anyone else that we might try to hang on to. So my prayer for everyone today is that whatever it would take to make sure that Jesus is their great high priest, that they would do that today, whether that's putting their faith in Jesus for the first time or whether it's day-to-day depending upon him in their lives, Father. Look forward to the work that you're going to do in our lives. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If there is